How was it joining a national for-profit board at the very same time you became CEO? I'd like to welcome our listeners to the Bolas Beat Podcast. I'm Claire Richardson, guest hosting for Greg Bolas. The Bolas Company is Northern New England's largest commercial real estate services firm with offices in Portland, Maine, as well as Manchester and Portsmouth, New Hampshire. We've been selling and leasing real estate in Maine and New Hampshire since 1975. This podcast is designed to provide insight into Maine's business movers and shakers. And speaking of business leaders, I'd like to welcome Rebecca Hatfield to the Bolas Beat. Avesta Housing is the largest nonprofit affordable housing provider in Northern New England. Its mission is to improve lives and strengthen communities by promoting and providing quality, affordable homes for people in need. It operates more than 100 properties in 40 municipalities in Maine and New Hampshire that provide homes for almost 5,000 people. Rebecca was a senior vice president at Citigroup, working in various roles within the commercial and corporate banks. She has over 15 years of experience in finance with a focus on deal structuring, underwriting, risk analysis, and portfolio management, and has extensive experience completing real estate transactions. Welcome, Rebecca. Rebecca, <laughs> it's really exciting to have you here uh, on the Bolas Beat. I'm so excited to be interviewing you and giving you a platform to share who you are as a person and professionally what your plans are with Avesta um, moving forward. Thank so, you. Welcome. Thank you so much. And uh, to get started, I know family is very important to you. You have your husband, Aaron, and your five-year-old daughter, Madeline, who, from what you describe, is a 2023 children to watch in me. <laughs> <laughs> she is a firecracker. Yeah. <laughs> I know you love spending time with them. And uh, tell us a little bit more about your family. Yeah. So I... Um, I actually grew up on the West Coast and my husband grew up here in Maine. I am, I was born in California and have had family there my entire life and in mid elementary school moved up to the Pacific North, Northwest to Portland, Oregon and Vancouver, Washington and spent my formative years in the Pacific Northwest. But I always spent my summers back in Northern California. So I call the entire West Coast my home. Um, and into college in my early career, I moved all around the country and and worked internationally for a very short period of time. And seven years ago, I moved to Maine um, with my husband and my husband grew up in Falmouth. Um, he is a longtime Mainer. And we do have our five-year-old daughter, Madeline, who is very much a firecracker and tests me every single day. Um, but my family is really important to me and it's really it's really shaped who I am. How did you and Aaron meet? We actually met working at Citigroup. <laughs> the age-old story of, of meeting your partner <laughs> where you work. Um, we both worked for Citigroup for almost 10 years and, and overlapped for a very short period of time and started dating after that time we were working together and, and got married and here we are today. Yeah, that's fantastic, good. Um, well, to get into a little bit more of your, I guess, um, professional growth and background, uh, you've had an incredible career. And uh, it's, it's exciting that you are bringing all of your experiences across the country and um, through these big national 
companies and you're bringing it here to Maine. Right. Um, so, you know, to get started on just what's made you who you are today, personally and professionally, I'd love to hear more about um, who your biggest inspiration and mentor has been to this point in your life. Yeah. So I, I think I've had two, I've had many mentors in my life that I owe a lot of credit to in terms of shaping who I am today and supporting me. But the two people that I would say have had the most significant impact is one, my mother. Um, my mother was a mathematician in the 1960s. Wow. Um, and she, as you can imagine, was, you know, one of very, very few black females in a white male dominated world. And what I saw from my mom is just perseverance. And she taught me growing up that I can do anything. If I put my mind to it, there's nothing that I can do. And that um, I can really pave my own path for who I wanna be. She inspired confidence in me and strengthened me as a female. The other person was uh, a leader who I worked for at Citigroup. Her name is Barbara Dugas Patterson, and she was the head of the commercial real estate group uh, for the West Coast and for a portion of time, part of the southern part of the nation. And she was a transformational leader. I mean, she, everyone loved her. She was a female. She was a person of color. She made a very, very large, diverse group feel like a close-knit family. She led with empathy and inclusivity. And I think most importantly for that period of time in my life and that early in my career, she created a safe space for me to learn and grow. She always just was a supporter of you and everyone knew that. And she was the first person that I saw that I said, if I, as I move forward in my career, if I ever manage people or when I interact with people, she's the person that I want to be like. I saw it in context of my career and of my work environment, she was truly a role model. That's amazing. And I'd imagine could be a make or break for somebody. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. funny, I, I just spoke to her last weekend before we recorded this, and I was telling her, I, I often think she was the difference between me ending up where I am today and me ending up somewhere else. I mean, when I have tough times in my life or in my career, I reflect back to two people, which is what would my mom, what would my mom say and what would Barbara do? That's wonderful. So, That's a great story. Yeah. And um, I know also I was curious, you know, if you ever had a first big break, it sounds like Barbara really believed in you and was um, a great mentor and inspiration for you. Was there anybody else in your career that um, you know, gave you that opportunity. Yeah, big breaks are always hard. Like, what what is a big break really? But um, or a small opening. Say, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I would say that there were a couple of instances in my career where somebody stepped in and gave me an opportunity that I wouldn't have otherwise had. They saw something in me that I didn't see. And one one moment that comes to mind is. Um, I was working at, at Citigroup and one of our managing directors there, her name is Roseanne Olson, she approached me about 
working for the chief risk officer as a part of a very, very small team, small global team for a year. And you basically, you know, travel around the globe and do these very strategic assignments. Um, and it's, it's a growth, it's a growth opportunity and it gives you a lot of exposure and a lot of visibility. And it's something that typically people apply for, but she actually approached me about it. And I felt like that was, that was one of one year in my career that changed my life in terms of forcing me to grow, to be a, a better person, a better leader and just more business savvy. And she gave me, she gave me that opportunity. I mean, she came to me and said, I think you should do that. And I said, uh, okay, <laughs> this sounds interesting. But when I look back, you know, it, it's one of the most impactful opportunities that I had. Yeah. I wonder if you look back and you think, what if I hadn't taken that opportunity? You know? Yeah. I mean, I've definitely thought about that. It was a, it was a, year that tested who I am that was constantly putting me outside of my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think had I not done it, it wouldn't have given me some of the strength that I have to kind of operate in in a world where sometimes it is outside of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, So you are a woman of color. And that is, that's who you are. And that is your personal story. Um, You've had, like I said earlier, an incredible career. uh, And that career has taken place in a predominantly non-diverse male environment. So what was your experience like under those, um, you know, in that circumstance? And how do you feel it's helped you grow as a leader, um, you know, personally, professionally? Yeah, I mean, I honestly think um, it is it has absolutely shaped who I am today. I mean, it shapes how I show up every day. It makes me sensitive and empathetic to the people around me. Um, I I am used to being in the room where I am the only one, even today. And what I found early in my career is that. You know, I would, I've worked and lived many places. So I have lived in very, very diverse environments and I've lived in environments that are not diverse at all. And it never really phased me. I think for me, I was always focused on what my mom taught me, which is it doesn't matter what's going on around you, you can do this. It doesn't matter who's sitting at the table, you belong at the table. And so as a leader, I always come from the places, place of, I want everyone to have a seat at the table I think an inclusive and diverse environment is critical to bringing change, to bringing thoughtfulness, to bringing creativity. Um, and and even today, I mean, as I moved forward in my career, which I realized more often than not, I was sitting in a room and I was the only woman or I was the only person of color. And I've gone to conferences. I mean in my last few years, I've gone to conferences where I am the only person of color in hundreds of people. But it inspires me to bring change. It inspires me to open the doors for others. It doesn't seem as something that, um, you know, I have learned and persevered through, but if I can pass that on and open the doors for others so that they can have a different experience, that's what's important to me as I, as I move forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 
It's amazing that to have you here in Maine, which is, I, I believe, is the least diverse state in the country. And did that, you know, your your personal experiences, has that what really motivated you to get into Avesta, into the nonprofit um, sector and world? And, um, you know, maybe not specifically Avesta, but I know we discussed when you moved here, uh, you had a had a passion to or a draw to do something that was more mission based. Yeah. Um, and would you say that that's been you know was a huge factor in that? Yeah. Work? Yes. I mean, when I moved here, I was really looking for. I was ready to explore a different type of opportunity. So to and if that meant leaving financial services that was that was fine with me. I had a very open mind when I moved to Maine and I didn't know the landscape that well. Um, so I really looked, I took a broad stroke search across the board. And, but I did know that no matter whether I went to a nonprofit or a for-profit, I did wanna go to a place with a mission and values perspective that had, that was a place of purpose and a place where I could use the skills that I had learned over time to give back to society in, in one way or another. So that did certainly track, attract me to, to Avesta. And I think it's, it's been exciting to move to Maine in a time of, of change, right? This is, I've lived in markets that I've, you know, like New York and San Francisco and, and, and big cities. And sometimes you feel like you're a very small person <laughs> trying to make an impact in a very large pool. Yep. And coming to Maine, what I think is amazing about it is that its future is so great. And here you can see your impact. And it is a, it is a very large state, um, but we have the space to, to grow and flourish and I feel like I came at a time that I can I can be a part of that. And that's what I wanted. That's what I wanted. Yeah. No. It's very exciting that we were able to to get your talent here <laughs> and your perspective <laughs> you. and your insight. I think yeah. it will having you at the table, having you as a leader in this community will make a huge difference. Yeah. So about that transition from New York City, big city group you know, for-profit national company to, uh, or international company to Portland, Maine, <laughs> yeah. uh, where you, you know, focus more on the mission-based uh, nonprofit organization. What was that transition like for you on a personal level and on a professional level? Yeah, I mean, as I mentioned, I grew up um, in the Pacific Northwest and on the West Coast. So I have to say moving to Maine was like moving back home to a certain extent. I, I, grew up skiing the mountains of Oregon and and doing a lot of outdoors type stuff. So Maine, it felt nice to come back to a place where that's truly in your backyard. Um, my, As I said, my husband grew up here. And so, you know, he had a network of friends and and I have to say the people here were very welcoming and I, I loved it. I also love the work-life um, balance that you can have here. You know, I talk to a lot of my friends who live across the country and I brag that I have a 15 minute door to door commute. And so <laughs> we can all be happy about that. Um, 
From a professional perspective, it was a huge change. I mean, I, I went from a global top three bank to a smaller nonprofit that was also growing very rapidly, but, you know, had a very different culture, had a very different approach, um, was very people focused. And it, it, it was a positive transition for me, although it was very different. It was like exactly what I needed at the time. Yeah. And, and honestly, who I am and how I work is no different. Whether I was at Citigroup or I was at Vesta, the way I approach my work is exactly the same. I do come from a place of, of values and purpose and humanity. And so um, I don't feel like I had to change much in what I do or how I approached certain things each day. It was more that the culture and the way that it was accepted was different. The impact that I could make was different. And that felt really good. It also feels good not to be run over and pushed over on your way into the office. Every that morning. is correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. You, <laughs> you know the New York experience. And so, yeah, I didn't miss standing on the subway platform and yep. sweating in the summers or, you know, shoving people so I could actually get on the next train yep. and make it home. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's an amazing thing to walk down the streets here and have a breath of fresh air yeah. and um, no horrible snow puddles around the corners of the streets. It's it's Maine is is an amazing place. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> One thing you and I bonded on yes, very early absolutely. On. <laughs> <laughs> um, so next, I you know want to start digging into um, your experience getting introduced to Avesta. Um, we talked about this. It was kind of more of a, a blind application or um, and then process and just how it's been so far being at that organization. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was, I saw the opportunity um, and I applied randomly. I read about the organization and it kind of fit my real estate background and, and the job kind of would leverage my finance skills, but it checked the mark of, you know, they're a mission-based organization and, and they're doing some really big things. Um, and I have found that it has been a really positive experience for me. I mean, um, the people at Avesta, it's, it's why I've been there so long. It's been amazing to kind of come up the ranks and share that with others around me. I feel a very, very strong connection to the people that I work with. And I think it's because I've worked with them for seven years. And, um, and I think the work that they do is incredibly important to our community. And the complexity of the work that they do is as complex as some of the multi-million dollar transactions that I was doing at Citigroup. Um, and in fact, in many ways, it's more complex because you're balancing people's lives with trying to make something, a, a business transaction work, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a hard line to walk. And so I think that that's where um, Avesta has been transformational for me. You can see the personal impact. You can see the personal impact. And, and you are, every day is, is this balance between um, 
you know, you're thinking about it from a strategic and a business perspective, but first and foremost, you're thinking about it from a people perspective. You are always coming from that place of what is the right thing to do? How do I help people? And how do I do it in an effective and an efficient manner um, with the resources that we have? And do it quickly. Yeah. So as the new CEO, yes. how has the transi- transition been? It's been amazing. I mean, I will say stepping into the role, it was Avesta's 50th anniversary last year. Um, We're in an unprecedented housing crisis. There is a lot of heightened visibility around housing and homelessness. Um, And I had some major transitions in my personal life, including my daughter starting kindergarten. And so... (laughs) It was a year, yeah. period. <laughs> it was it was a big transition for me. And it all happened at the same time. I mean, when I received the call that I was going to be um, offered the CEO job at Avesta, it was the same day. I was literally on the road driving to my daughter's preschool graduation with my husband. And then the day that I walked into the office as the officially as the CEO, the first day was the first day that my daughter got on the bus for the first time to kindergarten. And I would argue, you know, that step in her life was much bigger than my CEO step. Much bigger. <laughs> so I remember you saying she backpack on, didn't look back. Yeah, that's ahead. right. That's right. <laughs> I, I stood there like... I was hoping she would look back yeah. and, and, and feel a little bit, but it was, you know, I guess it's the independence that somehow, hopefully I've instilled in her. She was like, I've got this. Boom. Onto gonna, the bus. I was going to say. This is... um, she inspired me to show up to work that day saying, I've got this. Boom. Let's go. Right? So... A, yeah. A bittersweet start to the, day, to the morning. But yeah. yeah so it's. That... It's been an amazing transition. It really has. It's been a lot to take in over the last five months. Um, And the one other thing that I would say is, you know, I inherited a very healthy organization, a strong organization. The staff and the leadership team is amazing, and they have really rallied around this transition. Um, They've been incredibly supportive as we've, you know, kind of redefined ourselves with a, a transition in leadership. And um, I'm thankful for that. That that makes all the difference when you're stepping into a big role. Absolutely. Yeah. One detail you left out of the transition, you're, you know, getting the call to your CEO, you're going, you know, your daughter's starting kindergarten. Um, you were also asked to join the National For-Profit Board for Camden National. Yes. At that same stretch of time. How was it joining a national for-profit board at the very same time you became CEO of Avesta? Yeah, so I would say we just talked about how I stepped into a CEO role in the middle of a housing crisis and (laughs) in the midst of our 50th year at Avesta. Um, And so also joining the Camden National Board was just another amazing opportunity that you know was a lot to take on at one time at the same time that my daughter started kindergarten um i do have a knack for doing a lot of stuff at a lot of things at once and in fact i have many moments in my life where it feels like 
you know, what people would do over 10 years, I decided to do in one month or, or actually came to me in one month. And so I was just like, okay, I'm going to do it. Um, but it's, it's been, you know, it's only added to my, to my journey over the last six months. And I'm so grateful for it. And it's, it's a little bit of a yin to my yang. I mean, it's, it really helps me um, I have this kind of unique nonprofit and for-profit career that I've been in. And this is, this is another way that I can continue to kind of bridge the two worlds and, and show that they, how, how they can work together. And I am curious to hear about um, the conversation around you joining the board because you made it very clear to them everything you'd be taking on at that time, uh, personally, professionally. So you, you know, hit absolutely nothing. And they still sat there and said, we'll work with it. Yeah. We want you, we want your voice at the table. Yeah. How did that feel? Yes. Yes. Honestly, it, it felt great. And I would have to say they were proactive in the communication. I mean, they recognized that I was taking on a very big role and they were asking me to join the board at a, at a time that I was going to be going through a lot of, a lot of transition and have a lot coming at me. And they also knew that I have a family and that was really important to me and that I had a daughter who was starting kindergarten and, and, um, I want to be home for her and I want to find balance. And they were welcoming. I mean, that was the, I think the environment that they're trying to create or the environment that they would like to create. And I think from a board perspective, they recognize and we all recognize you want in, people in your community, the people that you recruit to your board and in your community may have a lot of things going on, but you're willing to work around that because their voice is important. They made me feel like you know, my voice was important and they were going to work with me as I went through this transition. And so it's really been a wonderful experience. Your voice is important. (laughs) And it sounds like it's very much aligned with what their future goals are. So what an exciting opportunity. And um, it's going to be incredible. Yeah. Congratulations. So now that you are, you know, about five, six months into the CEO role of Avesta. What do you see as, you know, short-term focus, long-term goals, and, you know, breaking that down to you as the CEO, as a leader, and then just big picture as an organization, what are you hoping to accomplish? Yeah, I would say as a CEO and and a leader, like many, um, I think leaders in this time, you know, I'm very much focused on making us as good on the inside as we are on the out. A lot of people have heard me say that, you know, I am all about workplace culture, um, adapting to this kind of new landscape that we have, and, and really creating an environment that people feel inspired and supported and included at work, creating that seat at the table and knowing that their voice is heard. And so, as a CEO and a leader, I'm focused on workplace culture. I'm also focused on, you know, operational excellence, knowing that if the people feel good about coming to work and the processes that we have are um, efficient and effective, 
the impact that we can have on our mission can be much greater. So that's, that's where I am internally in terms of bigger picture. I mean, there's, there's two things. One is creating more safe, quality, affordable homes for the people who need it most. I cannot say enough that we need more affordable housing and we have to produce it at a faster pace. And the second piece, and I think uh, an equally important piece is helping to find ways and collaborate with partners to connect our residents and our community members that need it most to supportive services. And so furthering those two efforts in the short term and figuring out what are the innovative solutions that we can have to make that happen is, is those are my priorities going into this year and next year. What we are in, you know, you just mentioned, we're in such a housing shortage. It's, you know, certainly no question about that. What do you feel needs to be done to change that shortage and work towards getting everything back on track? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, the housing crisis didn't didn't happen overnight, and I want I want to paint the picture for a minute, and just to to give an idea of the magnitude of the crisis. We had nearly nine thousand applications last year. It was twenty seven percent more than twenty twenty one, and almost double what we received in twenty twenty. The amount of applications. It was 12 times the number of actual available homes that we had. So if you think 9,000 applications, we had 700 apartment homes come available during that same period of time. It gives you an idea of how the demand is outpacing the supply. Wow. Right? And so when I think about how do we change the tides, how do we make a difference, we have to start it's hard not to respond to the the moment. We have to respond to the crisis right now because you can look around anywhere you're at and see the crisis front and center. I think everybody is feeling it. Everyone understands it. But I think we have to start to spend some of our energy thinking proactively versus reactively, Um, whether that's about advocating for resources, breaking down systemic barriers, educating the community about what affordable housing is and how it impacts the community. These are things that we have to think about. What do we do now to address the future, the picture in the future? Because I can tell you it's growing at an alarming rate. And if we don't do vastly more than we're doing right now, five years from now, the conversation is going to be much worse than it is today. We have people moving in from other parts of the nation and immigrating, which is a really important thing, and we should be embracing people. But we have to get ahead of people need a place to live, right? Everyone needs a place to live. Whether you are from here or you are not from here, everyone needs a place to live. And if they have that place to live, our community is going to flourish. It is the daycare workers, the teachers, the healthcare workers, the grocery store workers, they are the core of our fabric of our community. And the people who work in those jobs come from all different places and we should be welcoming them, welcoming them and giving them a home so that they can feel stable in their lives and be a part of our community. And it 
you know, part of the solution, I think, is the underlying tone of what we've discussed already today, which is the idea of inclusion and collaboration and, yes. and getting the right voices to the table. Yes, yes. It's really important to to have everybody's voice at the table. I think my, um, I'm very much a collaborator at heart. I don't think that any, there is any silver bullet. I don't think that we can do it on our own. Um, I think the way that we get ahead of this crisis is that we start thinking about, we start putting our individual agendas aside and we start thinking about the solutions of how we can all come together to have have a bigger impact. Um, it's, this, this is the moment to look inside and say, what can I do as a part of this bigger effort to make a difference? And it's not going to be one effort. It's going to be a lot of efforts that look a little bit different, that may be innovative um, in order to, to address, you know, the spectrum of housing that we need and to support the, the population that needs housing. On a state level... What are you seeing being accomplished um, that will, you know, hopefully help with with the housing needs? Yeah, I am very uh, excited about what's happening at the state level. Governor Mills has made it clear that housing is a priority for her, and I think that's incredibly important given the environment that we're in and and you know, the housing crisis is certainly not going to get easier anytime soon. Um, Some of the stuff that's recently happened, like the passage of LD 2003 around zoning reform, which is really key in, in removing some of the barriers to create affordable housing. Um, Also the, her announcement of her proposed budget, which included a $30 million appropriation for housing is is really going to be impactful in our ability to develop new housing across the state, new affordable housing across the state. At the same time, hearing that the legislator pass uh, the $21 million that's gonna go towards emergency housing relief. Again, that's a statement that helping people preserve and maintain their housing and have housing stability is important. And then more generally, I've seen a lot of momentum around policy reform, um, creation of committees and coalitions, different types of funding mechanisms, and other players who haven't come to the table in the past being willing to come to the table and say, I'm willing to help fund or bring resources to the table. And that's, that's exciting. I mean, we need to do more. We need more. We need more. Um, but this is a pretty unique time in that there is visibility around it. People are starting to recognize the crisis and our local and state elected officials are coming to the table to have the conversation. And I hope, I hope that continues. Yeah, great. What can we be on the lookout for from Vesta for the you know, coming year or two years ahead in terms of units that you're able to develop um, and where where you're developing them? Yeah, so we are, um, our pipeline is growing. We're incredibly active. We have 
nearly 800 units in in the pipeline and we're developing in various places throughout Maine. So Freiburg, Gorham, Portland, South Portland, Kennebunk, Farmington. Um, And we're hoping to look and do more. The other thing that we've been, that we're always focused on that we are particularly focused on right now is, as I said, enhancing services for our residents. So collaborating with partners to bring other services to the table to help people achieve housing stability. So whether we're addressing uh, food insecurity, um, legal services, uh, after school programs, there are a lot of other community-based organizations who do amazing work. And so connecting our residents to those organizations or having those organizations come in to our communities to offer the services is something that we've spent a lot of time on in the past and and are working on ramping up more on the future so that it truly is a holistic approach to housing and housing stability. That's great to know and um, you know hear how other ways that we can help and be supportive yeah. of your efforts yes. for sure. Thank you. Excellent. For our listeners, you know, we're we're kind of your day-to-day community and we're on the local level. Um, what what would you say we can be doing to help with your efforts? Yeah, so first and foremost, I I would love people to come to the table. We've talked a lot about, you know, I keep saying I want to create a seat at the table for everyone. I know that we have people who believe in what we do. We have supporters of our effort that we're incredibly thankful for. We want their voice to be louder. We, when I show up to a city council meeting and the public's from the comments from the public are only from the NIMBYs and not from the YIMBYs, the yes in my backyard, it's hard. And so for those of you who are living in our community, many people understand the crisis that we're in. Many people believe in it. I would ask that they come together and they come to the table and use their voice and start using that voice to create action. And that is make time to come to the council meetings or to come to the various events of which we're talking to this and show support for it. And also, if you can, bring resources to the table. I mean, we have to, in this world, in order to create housing and to provide the services for the people who need it most, um, we, we do need resources to do that. And there are many companies and people and organizations and community members that can all come together to create those resources. So to close out the discussion, um, I want to um, you know open the open the floor and allow you to clarify, you know, misconceptions that might be out there on the affordable housing industry, um, you know, and or Avesta as an organization, and just clarify that for our listeners. Yeah, I would argue, you know, one of the biggest things is who lives in our housing. I sat here and I I said, you know, it's the teachers, it's the daycare workers, it's the grocery store worker or the firefighter. Um, It may be your mom, your sister, your dad. They all 
live in our housing. I think that this, the people who live in our housing look a certain way or feel a certain way. I really want to break down that idea. That's not the, that's not the case. This is housing accessibility is for everyone. And I think people would be surprised how closely it touches them personally if they just think about it. And I think the other thing, the other misconception that I always am working to break down um, is that housing is a spectrum. And so you, there is, as I said, there's no one silver bullet, but you need multiple types of solution. You can't just put one solution down and think it's going to serve everyone. You have um, housing that has 24-7 supportive services, and that's one type of housing. You have independent housing. You have um, home ownership, single family homes that looks a little bit different. And all of these solutions are important, and all of them are helping to serve the varying needs of the people that are out there. And so I would say open your mind a, a little bit and not yeah. get so caught up on this is what affordable housing, this is how it's defined, this is what it looks like, these are the people that live in there, um, and start realizing that it's a much broader picture and more complex picture than everyone thinks. Mm -hmm. um, and that is why we need to come together and think creatively about how we address the crisis that we're in. Yeah. And to go back, it's, you know, something else we spoke about um, leading into this discussion is Avesta is not, you know, it's people don't reach out to you and then boom, the problem solved, um, which goes back to what we discussed about the community and what you shed light on was, you know, the solution is, is constantly working and takes everyone in the community to be a part of that solution. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Um, I think I speak on behalf of a lot of people and I say I'm so happy that you are here in Maine and bringing your expertise and skill set. Uh, I have no doubt that you will be making a huge impact on this state uh, and on this in this community in the future. And I can't wait to see everything you do. Thank you. And I'm, I want to say I'm so grateful for this opportunity. I, am, you know, I am truly overwhelmed each day when I wake up in the morning with with joy that I can be, I can make a difference in this community. I'm so thankful for the people who have been supportive of me over the years that I've been here. And I'm looking forward to the future. I'm excited about the future. I mean, I, yes, we are in a crisis and it's hard to remain positive sometimes, but I think the positivity, the glass half full is where I have to stay. And it's what wakes me up every day to say, we can do this. We can do it. That's excellent. Well, thank right. you. Thank you. <laughs> Rebecca, thank you for being our guest today on the Bolus Beat, a Bolus Company podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. You can learn more about Rebecca and Avesta at www.avestahousing.org, on Facebook and LinkedIn at Avesta Housing, and on Twitter at Avesta Housing. And if you'd like to learn more about the Bolus Company, be sure to visit us at www.bolus.com. You can also find us at The Bolus Company on Facebook and LinkedIn and at The Bolus Co. 
on Instagram and Twitter.